Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 423. If you're a busboy and you keep saying, oh, I'm just a busboy, I just clear dishes, uh, you know, that's your identity. And if you want to become more than that, you need to raise your standards and become something else. Become an expert at being a busboy so you can become an expert at being a server, then a bartender, uh, own your own restaurant eventually. Whatever that is, you need to raise your standards and change who you believe you are if who you believe you are is just someone at a lower level. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months Free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Dave Allred. My man, Dave, are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh, yeah, I'm feeling titanium, Eric. Ready yeah. to go. <laughs> That's awesome. And before we get started, I want to take this moment to apologize to you publicly because I I have to admit, when you first reached out to me, the first initial thought that I got was somebody else uh, trying to push something or sell something, uh, and that was totally wrong. Um, I and it, it's a lesson because you know often we never know. Uh, we make assumptions, right? And we can uh, really not do ourselves any justice by making those assumptions. So always kind of have an open mind. And I want to you know apologize uh, publicly for assuming that you're looking to use restaurant unstoppable uh, to pitch something. So, uh, well, I, you know, you can hardly, I can hardly blame you just with all the people I'm sure that approach you. I mean, just being a, a bar manager and or running a bar and having the salespeople walk through the door one by one and trying to sell you something. The first thing when someone walks in and asks for you is like, Oh my God, what are they going to sell me? So, you know, making those assumptions, uh, you know, that's, that's not so wrong when you, I'm sure you get approached yeah. all the time. You know, and I started pulling back the layers and just doing some research even today to prepare for today's conversation. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Like an industry vet 21 years. Uh, let me just give the intro and we'll kind of take it from there. But, uh, when he was 16 years old, David Allred got his start busting tables at Chinese restaurant or at a Chinese restaurant. He continued 
continued working in restaurants during and after college. And before long, he was immersed in the world of bartending. After 15 years of the industry work, Allred decided to that sorry decided it was time to move in the direction of management and teaching. Today, in addition to being the author of five industry books, Allred is the founder and CEO of Bar Patrol, which helps owners and managers run more profitable bars. So obviously, uh, we're just scratching the surface. Uh, this introduction does not do you justice. I can't wait to learn more about you, who you are, and what makes you great. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote a mantra what do you got okay i you know i got a couple because i used to give uh i would do bar trainings and i'd send out uh bar stuff to the bartenders and i would actually include a, a quote every time so one of the ones my favorites it's actually from someone unknown but i came across it and uh, it's customers may forget what you said but they'll never forget how you made them feel and i think that's the most important thing when you're creating experience for guests and, and then a second one I have, because I'm such a huge believer in this, is from Harry Beckwith from uh, his book, Selling a Service, which is a great book on customer service. Uh, you know, he says, marginal tactics executed passionately almost always will outperform brilliant tactics executed marginally. And I'm such a huge believer in execution because you get these bar owners and managers who get online and they search for all this stuff or they come to me and ask, you know, what should I do? And we tell them. And then they don't go execute it. And you see it all the time on Bar Rescue, right? He tells them, you need to change the name, you need to do this. And then they show, you know, six months later, they fail because they didn't follow any of the tactics. So, you know, once again, I'm going to say it again. Marginal tactics executed passionately almost always will outperform brilliant tactics executed marginally. And I think that's a huge, huge, uh, good bit of advice from Harry Beckwith. Yeah, and I feel like both those quotes kind of touch on the the human side of the industry with uh, passion being mentioned in the second quote. And that first quote you mentioned, uh, people won't forget how you make them feel. Um, And just, you know, I mean, part of that second quote too, was that just kind of like, trying to keep it things i guess manageable to the point where if you try to be too outrageous it's is it is it possible to do that consistently is that part of the quote too yeah i think that you know people are always kind of looking for the perfect thing right they never take action it's kind of research research let me look for the perfect thing and then i'll do it and they never actually do it instead of finding something you know and just running with it and let's go execute it and if it doesn't work we'll learn from it and we'll go try to execute something else but always taking action instead of sitting behind the screen yeah and you can always improve upon that thing but just choose make a decision and stick with something and then maybe scale with time you don't it doesn't have to be perfect on day one just get the ball rolling right i fully agree Awesome. Well, great way to get this thing started. So let me ask you, Dave, where did it all start with you? I mean, we mentioned that you started at at the the Chinese restaurant. So why don't we just start there? Yeah. And you know, a lot of people get into the business like I did, right? You just kind of stumble into it. I always call it the quicksand business because, you know, we kind of wander in one day looking for a part-time job when we're young, the tips are good. You're making more than your friends who are just kind of starting a, at an entry-level position. And then 20 years later, you know, we're kind of up to our necks. We have no plan or practical way to get out, and we're just kind of stuck. And uh, not that it's bad. and It's just if, you know, it got to a point in my life where I had bartended for 15 years. I'd been a server for a while. I bartended. I loved it. I was a great bartender. I, I gave great customer service. But I started getting questions from my wife, like, what else are you going to do? And it got really hard because, you know, she was a school teacher and I bartended at night because that's when the money is. And so we never saw each other. And then we had kids and then my kids went off to school and I didn't get to see any of them. And so my job became a pain point instead of a passion. And I loved being at work, but uh, it wasn't aligning with my lifestyle. So 
I, I gathered a lot of industry knowledge. And so at this point, I tried a couple other careers. Um, I kind of started other businesses. I started an in-home tutoring business, which was pretty successful, but uh, I just didn't have any passion for it. So uh, my wife finally said to me, you know, you just need to do what you know and just find a different way to do it. And so, you know, I really delved in and, and became more of an expert in the bar industry. And until so, uh, one day my wife actually came across, you know, Bev Inco um, was doing this. They'd been doing it for a long time, teaching people how to be a bar inventory auditor, where you go into bars and you take their inventory for them and you save them, you know, thousands of dollars per month. And I thought, you know what, I can do that. And of course, starting a business always ends up being a lot harder than you think it is. You think you see the path and then you, you get in there and it ends up being a pretzel, a pretzel path where you're going all over the place. <laughs> so, you know, it took me a couple of years to really figure out if you go to Bev Inco, they'll teach you how to do it for 50 grand. It's a, it's a franchise thing. I didn't have 50 grand. So uh, I had to figure it out all on my own and uh, started using someone else's software and going in and landing bars and uh, uh, helping them. And pretty soon I had eight to 10 clients and I charged them like a thousand bucks a month and I was making a good living and I was able to move on from there and actually create a life that was great. And, you know, that was the plan is just to do that. And, uh, now, you know, I still operate a bar cause I, cause I like it there and they, you know, we all treat each other well. And so my wife's kind of looking at me like, you know, the plan was to get out when are you getting out. So, you know, I'm still doing it. And actually my wife's retired now, uh, because the business is success, successful. Awesome. So that's good. And we see each other all, you know, all the time, but, uh, so things are a lot better now. And, um, the path has taken me down, uh, where I enjoy my life now. And I enjoy the industry again, because I can do it on my terms and I can still see my family. Yeah, there's a lot of cool things to pull from this story. Uh, and thanks for getting super aerial and just laying it out there for us. But the, one of the big things I really want to zoom in on is the idea of just having a plan and living intentionally. And you, you make a good point. A lot of us get into this industry um, early and it's great when we're like in our late teens and early 20s going home with a couple hundred dollars a night. Uh, that's good money. Uh, but it doesn't get much better than that. And as you go through life, you, your assets in, or your liabilities increase. You have children, you have a wife, you have a mortgage. Uh, if you want to invest in other things, like it's not going to cut it forever. So you need to have a plan. You need to start living intentionally and finding out and deciding early on. Am I going to, well, you know, what path am I going to go on? Am I going to become an educator like you chose to like, you know, educate people and help people and to create tools and resources people can use to become more successful? Or am I going to, uh, develop a certain skill or asset and become really good at this thing and then use that to draw onto myself other passionate people and maybe go into business with them. Like what's your plan and start living intentionally because you're going to get stuck eventually. You want to reflect? And you know, it's really true because your roles change as you get older. And, and if you don't, you're not growing. And there's, you know, there's no judgment there. If you want to be a bartender until you're 60 and you're, you know, serving white Zimmendale to a bunch of old ladies at the hotel bar, you know, there's no judgment. If you love it, do it forever. There, there, there's nothing about that. It's just, I felt like I wasn't growing and I felt like there was a ceiling to what I was doing. And I wanted something where there was no ceiling and I could grow. And, you know, there's something about learning to become really good at your profession and, you know, expertise leads to greater things, even if you can't see it in the moment. So you might have a busser in a restaurant working and he's like, you know, I'm just a busser. Maybe he's ashamed that he's a busser and he wants to be a bartender or a bar manager or something bigger. But, you know, if you become great at being a busser, it's going to create habits. So you become great at something else. And, you know, my dad always told me the better you are at something, the more fun it is. And that, that struck with me. I mean, I all the way through, I played basketball all the way through college. And it was true. And when you suck at stuff, it sucks. Whether you're playing checkers or running, you know, learning how to run a bar or restaurant, if you suck at it or you're super ignorant and everyone else around you is looking 
for you to help them and you're just kind of faking it. It feels awful, mm-hmm. but it feels great to be an expert at something. And when you become an expert at your job, even if it's, uh, you know, and I heard on your podcast, one of the guys mentioned a you know, book I read, which was the, the Fred Factor. And, you know, there's some kind of back and forth uh, people saying, you know, you shouldn't settle for just a, you know, mundane job. Fred in the book is a mailman who does his job awesomely. And, but it's just kind of a, you know, regular job, regular guy, but he does it so great that he just takes passion in it. And some people say, well, you should have bigger dreams, which I understand. But the point is, is whatever you're doing right now, be awesome at it and create those habits so that when you do go after your dreams, you already have those habits to become an expert again at the next level. Yeah. And thank you for diving into that and pointing that out. I mean, if, if you want to be a career bartender or a career, uh, server, uh, there is nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Uh, but don't settle for being mediocre. Like always try to be the best you can be because your life will be so much more rewarding when you are the best at what you do. You do, you just, you know, push it to the, 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 I don't know what the word would be. I guess the limit, not the limit, but you know, why not show up being the best you can be? Right. Yeah, it really is true. That's exactly it. Um, so there was something else I wanted to mention, but you totally distracted me on that last rant, which was awesome, by the way. Um, man, what was it? Um, let me check my notes real quick. Uh, okay, let's go back to um, the path you took uh, evolving and uh, just learning. So I kind of want to z- zoom in and see if we can't pull out, pull out any nuggets. Um, so you started as a server and eventually went over to the PF Chang's, which which is where you started uh, really diving into the bartending. So take us to like that part of your life as you, cause it seems like this is where you started really kind of getting more intentional with your life. Is that safe to say? Yeah. You know, I had a, um, I had a really good GM uh, at PF Chang's and his name was Ed Westmoreland. And he, I was at PF Chang's before it went corporate. So PF Chang's is kind of individually owned still. So each, P.F. Chang's kind of had a, its own regional manager and they could kind of do things their own way. And I had a really good one. So, you know, he inspired us to be really good at our jobs. And he said, I don't care how you do it, but do whatever you can to get the guests to come back again. You know, use your personality, you know, do this and that. And he would come ask us, you know, hey, new cocktail menu. What do you guys think about this? Do you think do you like this? Do you not like this? And we would say yes or no. And you take our feedback and you go do something with it. And it was really inspiring to see a leader actually care about what we thought. You know, then P.F. Chang's went corporate and, you know, not back. P.F. Chang's has been and they've been one of my clients for Bar Patrol. So, you know, I love them. But, you know, you go corporate and you kind of become more sterile and everything becomes more rigid because you're putting systems in place, which is a good thing to put systems in place. Um, but I kind of went moving on from them because I wanted to be in a more creative scene. But I really learned a lot from from Ed on what it took to be a leader and how to deal with employees and listen to them. And I felt like I wanted to do my best for Ed because he listened to me and he wasn't just telling me what to do. And, you know, when I go out and give bar trainings to bartenders and servers, uh, I, I remember being at Outback and giving one there and telling them, you know, don't just have Outback standards. Obviously, you need to do what, what they're telling you to do based on their standards. You need to reach those, but you need to have your own standards because everyone will act on their own standards much more passionately than they will for someone else's standards. So even though you're in a corporate setting, come in today and decide what you're going to do that's great, give great customer service, do it on your own personality and get that customer to come back based on what you're doing, not what Outback is telling you to do. And so, you know, I learned that from Ed. I also thought that was really great. 
Yeah, I love uh, the idea of just also you mentioned earlier, just listening to your people. Uh, And that's a big lesson that comes from the great game of business. Uh, We have so many people that are on the floor every day being receptive to what's going on. They could have the next amazing idea. And if you don't give them a chance to speak, I mean, those are just additional minds, the power of the, the, the mastermind, combining these minds together and listening and giving people the the, the floor to speak. Like you never know uh, what information you're going to get from your people. So be receptive to what they have to say. I love that you point that out. And also the idea of just being you. Um, people don't want to come to a restaurant to be served by a robot. They want to be, they want to connect right. with a genuine version of, who, of whoever that server is. So I love that you, you pointed that out too. Um, do you want have anything else to say? No. And, and, you know, it's a lot of the servers and bartenders in the industry, you know, and the bar and restaurant industry is just bizarre, right? It's not like some of the other industries where it's just predictable. You have, you know, you have day shifts, you have night shifts, we're creatures of the night and, and, you know, one bar owner can be the super successful businessman who comes in dressed in a suit and tie every day, and he's just on top of it, to the bar owner who, you know, is dressed in a dirty tank top, smoking a cigarette, and he's pouring you a shot. And, and so it's just such a wide range. And when you're working for some of these managers, you know, some of them just aren't passionate. You know, like Ed at P.F. Chang's, he really cared about his job, so we cared. And when the manager doesn't care it's hard for you to really care and you just end up just roaming aimlessly. And this is what happens in the bar business, especially. And this is why this is a big part of my business is the inventory management is because, you know, employees steal. It's just the truth in the bar business. And if the manager doesn't care enough to even monitor them or watch them or talk to them or listen to them, they're just going to roam aimlessly and do whatever they want in the business. And it's just going to eventually fail. And, and if not fail, just be mediocre. So, you know, it really is important to have great leaders in your bar and restaurant uh, as far as everyone else is concerned. So I kind of want to dive deeper into the idea of when some of these corporations lose it. I mean, most corporations started off as really great, small, you know, independent operations who just figured it out and eventually they scale and they lose some of their mojo. Um, but at the same time, there are some other operations uh, like Mendocino's Farms, by the way, which was just recently on, um, who uh, who seem to be able to hang on to that essence, that mojo, that soul. Uh, what do you think it is that's happening between these some of these restaurants that seem to lose that mojo, that mojo, that that heart, and those who are able to retain it? Where does where does it go? Like, you know. It's hard for me to, to judge some of the big corporations because I've never ran one. So I, I'm sure it's hard to run 200 restaurants and have it, you know, have it feel personal well, in every one. But, you know, some do it better than others. And to tell you the truth, you know, I, I wasn't at all bagging on P.F. Chang's because if you go into P.F. Chang's, I mean, my, it's my wife's favorite place. She loves going there. And, and their experience that they give you is really good. So I think they do a really good job. But, you know, it's, from an employee standpoint, and the management standpoint, trying to get across their employees, it really is that they're handcuffed a little bit in what they can do because any new system or rule that they put in place has to be passed through nine people mm-hmm. in order to get it approved. So uh, the managers, I, I've talked to quite a few of corporate managers um, because I've worked with them and they're frustrated because they want to do some things that they're not allowed to do and pretty soon they give up. So I think some do it better than others and it's hard to judge them because it's hard to run 200 restaurants and, and have mm-hmm. it all the same. I will say that, you know, I was listening to one of your guests. I think it was it was a Mario who had mentioned Chris Sims at Lazy Dog. Yeah. Um, I, I've never met or talked to Chris Sims, but I got to tell you, we have two Lazy Dogs in our area, uh, and they're awesome. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many they're up to now, how many restaurants they're up to, but 
when I went in there the first couple of times, I told my wife, I'm like, their, their customer service training must be unbelievable because they're really on top of it. And I asked a server about it one time and they, I think they go through like eight training shifts and training is everything and getting them to do that and motivating them. They're doing a great job, whatever, whatever they're doing. I would love to see their training program because lazy dogs killing it because when you go in there, you feel like you're loved. Mm. So let me ask you this on a more personal note. What was it about you? You said they, they, they started getting more corporate and for you that wasn't right. So what was it specifically regarding you that wasn't right? How did you not mesh well with the corporate life? Um, I think I was kind of the same way that some of the managers I talked about that were frustrated. I wanted to be creative and kind of be able to do things in a different way. And when I had an idea, I wanted to be able to execute it just even as a bartender. I have a new cocktail idea. I want to do this. And uh, you couldn't really, so you're kind of limited. And, and again, you have a ceiling in your handcuffs. So uh, I ended up moving on into and, and a bar and, and um, that was kind of a bar club almost. And I was, ended up being the head bartender and, and manager there. And I was able to do a lot of the things I wanted to do. So I just kind of had the freedom. Some people who don't want to get creative and just want to go to work and get their tips and paycheck, you know, that's a perfect place to work at PF Chang's because, you know, they do the rest. All you got to do is show up and do your job well. And I just wanted a little bit more. Mm, okay, cool. So uh, you decided to go out and to work at numerous bar jobs uh, or bartending jobs. Uh, what were you learning? What were some of the big takeaways during this time? Um, this is about, so about then I left PF Chang's and this is, you know, the, the, the conversation now since 2008 is getting heated with me and my wife and what I'm going to do because it, it's getting, and you know, we got to the verge and, and not going to go into a big drama story where, you know, it got really bad in our marriage because we never saw each other. And so I started working another bar in, in the city of San Francisco. It was a really nice bar. And I decided I needed to start uh, learning and becoming an expert and kind of raising my standards in that area and learning more about it so I can do something else with it because that was her suggestion. And so at 2010 is when she found, you know, this online business and thought maybe I could do that. And I was really glad that I had learned, you know, just – a lot of the systems that some of the bars do. So, you know, I'd worked at a lot of places and kind of saw what worked, what didn't work. And the places that really had systems in place were working the best. And they had their bookkeeping in place and they were doing inventory management. And uh, they told you what you needed to do for customer service. They didn't just say, go out there and do it. And, you know, I wrote an article called The 10 Steps of Customer Service. And it doesn't go so deeply into, you know, the friendliness or, uh, you know, training them on, you know, how to talk to them. It's more of a technical thing on what you need to do based on time. You know, you need to greet the customer within 60 seconds of coming in the door. Uh, you need to greet them within 60 seconds of sitting down. You need to get the drinks to them within two minutes of they ordered it uh, and kind of guide you through getting back to them and anticipating their needs. So, you know, they, they're not looking around for stuff. So it gives them a structure and, there's something about structure that really works well when you're putting systems in place and your employees crave it to tell you the truth. And you wouldn't think so. You'd think that they just want to be able to left mm-hmm. to do what they want to do. They may not know it consciously, but they crave it mm-hmm. and they want it. They want to be told because it gives them confidence mm-hmm. and leadership. Um, and there was another concept of, of a guy, I don't remember his name. He wrote love and logic. It's about raising your kids. And he, you know, he had said the same thing. Your kids want structure um, because they feel confident in their parents and they feel safe. And so when you put structure and systems into your your bar and restaurant, your employees feel like they're being led by someone great. And so they feel safe when they go to work and they feel like they can count on things. And when they have questions, they're going to have good answers. So I've really become a big proponent of putting systems in place 
um, that make the lives easier for managers and make it better for the employees and a better guest experience as yeah. well. Yeah, I think it really ties into that that second tier of Maslow's hierarchy of needs of just security, right? Of feeling safe and like when you when you are in, when you're in a circ- circumstance and you don't know what that picture of perfection looks like and you and you're not for you it might be common sense you you spent you know at this point 15 years of your life doing this like you it's first nature to you but for that person who's 18 17 years old who might be still new to the industry like they don't know what you what you want from them and that does not feed into that feeling of safety and security. Uh, they're very vulnerable and uh, you need to provide, like you said, that, that framework, those, those processes, that picture of perfection. So they have something to aim for. So they know what the job, uh, when the job is done right, they know they've hit the mark, right? They do. And, and, and experience looks to leadership. And if they if they're working in a place that does not have great leadership, uh, they're not going to be motivated to work hard. They're not going to learn more. And they're certainly not going to be motivated to get better at their job and, and move up. Uh, it's a big area, you know, being a leader is tough and, um, and not everyone can do it, but if you can put some of these systems in place and, you know, get someone to help you, uh, do those things, it's gonna make your life a lot easier. So you can deliver, you know, a code of ethics and a code of systems that, that your employees can follow. It's going to be a lot easier to be a leader instead of coming out and being rah, rah every day. Uh, you know, I think that's important to be emotional and, and be rah, rah. But uh, if you're not the greatest leader, if you can put some systems in place, it's going to help you run your place a lot better. So you said some of the things that uh, these re- the, the numerous restaurants you're working at, the ones that were doing it right, had the systems, the bookkeeping, the, bookkeeping, the inventory. Uh, what about some of the restaurants that weren't doing it right? Did you notice any trends of some of the, the bad habits, some of the negative things that you should avoid? Yeah, I mean, it's all kind of the opposite of, of what we've been talking about. You know, the one of the bar I worked in the city, one of the last ones I, I really worked at before um, I, I moved into the place I'm working now, had an owner who was absolutely horrible. I mean, he would sit at the bar and, and drink and uh, get pretty drunk and then start yelling at the employees and uh, tell them how horrible they were. And I had to step in a bunch of times and stop him and, uh, you know, leading by example is a huge thing. And, you know, I'm not a big proponent of uh, allowing employees to drink while they're working and and all that. I know some places like to make it fun and and be able to do that. But, you know, a lot of places that were just loosey goosey. And, you know, one of my big thing is, you know, are you a bar owner or are you a business owner is a big thing for owners because bar owners are running a playground and, you know, they're buying shots for everyone and they're having fun. And that was the vision they had when they bought a bar is they just want it to be fun. Uh, but the business suffers and the, and the experience for the guest suffers when you're a bar owner instead of a business owner. You know, a business owner is making sure that everyone is having, you know, a great time, that the guest is having a perfect experience, that the employees are happy, and that all those behind the scenes things that happen in every business, and you're making sure those things are happening. So there's a big difference between being a bar owner and a, a business owner, and I've worked for both. Yeah. And people at the end of the day will only rise to the level that ownership rises to. So if you rise to the level of coming in and sitting at the bar while your team's busting their ass around you, you can't expect them to really, you, you can't hold them to that level of excellence because you're not willing to deliver it yourself. So it's true. It's and, true. Yeah. What else? Oh, geez. What else? Where do we go <laughs> from here? You so, know, another, another area that I, um, I get into, so we're talking about customer service a little bit and, you know, my big area is inventory management. But when I, when I was a bar inventory auditor and I was doing this full time and, you know, I walked into hundreds of bars to land accounts. And so I was able to talk to managers and owners all the time. And part of my business plan, once I got going was to, 
you know, do a one week demo with them and I would show them how much they were losing. And for the record, I've taken more than 4,000 inventories and every single bar is losing money. So uh, anyone out there that is naive enough to think that their bartenders aren't taking is uh, <laughs> they're missing the boat because uh, every bartender stealing, whether they're doing it consciously or not, uh, and conformity is contagious out there, and you're just kind of doing what other people around you are doing. And if you don't have systems in place to to monitor that, uh, you're losing money. And the average bar, mid-sized bar, is losing about five to six thousand dollars a year. So, I mean, sorry, per per month. So they're not losing sixty to seven thousand dollars per year because they're not tracking their inventory. And so what I would do is I would come in, I would show them how much money they're losing. This would get them to sign up for me because I I would guarantee I would save them at least four times what I cost. Um, and then once I did that, I would do a bartender training and I would include a lot of customer service stuff. And my goal was to give them as much value as possible. I'd go that extra mile. I actually have a course to teach people how to become a bar inventory auditor uh, like I was. And I teach them to offer this extra value at no extra cost. You just charge them for the inventory service and you're including all this value so they never get rid of you. And one of the things I do is I go and I give this training and I would talk to them about customer service. And one of the reasons I created this 10 step customer service is there was this Cornell study done. Um, and they did, I think, I don't know how many people, a thousand people, and they would give them an hour and a half in a restaurant. And then they would do a survey on their answers on how, what their customer service was like. And the, the interesting thing about this survey was that I think they asked them 20 questions but 40% of their overall experience was based on how quickly they were greeted, whether they got refills, and how quickly they got the check at the end. So this wow. promptness to service, you know, this is this is what, like three minutes of their entire experience, hour and a half experience, you know, accounted for 40% of their overall experience at the restaurant. Wow. So this is this is where I got really, you know, intent on making sure that you know, promptly greeted and attending to them and getting back to them after their food's dropped and make sure, hey, do you guys need anything else? I'm not looking around. People hate to wait, right? We're in, we're in an age now where people can't stand to wait for anything. So, you know, this is one of the most important things in customer service beyond being personable and, and doing all that and knowing the menu and being well-trained on all of your products and being able to upsell and all that stuff. That stuff's important, but just promptness to service that's 40% of the overall, you know, experience. Wow. And so I really trained that one to go in there. Did I hear you say 10 steps to customer service is something that you created? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, <laughs> well, I have a blog post on it on, on, on my website. Do you so. have a committed to memory? Uh, no, but I have, I can pull it right here. I'll pull it right here. <laughs> you know, I can't let you <laughs> drop something like 10 steps to customer service and I have to go deeper. Um, All right. Okay. Here's all right. I'm, I, I'm <laughs> you don't have to give I'm, it all away, just so we can, we can link to it in the show notes too. But maybe just well, I can service. I can go through the steps really quick without going into detail, so nice. we're not spending all this time on it. But um, step one: greet the guests within ten seconds of walking through the door, and that's whether you're you know, you, hopefully you have a host. This is why Walmart has greeters, right? So so you feel and Walmart isn't known for customer service, but they did that on purpose. Just just that point is important. So whether you're, if you have no host and you're behind the bar, it's, hey, how are you folks doing? Have a seat over here with you. That just makes them feel comfortable. If they're just sitting up there waiting, you know, they feel like idiots. So uh, step two, greet the guests within 60 seconds of sitting down so they're not wondering, you know, if this is Chipotle and they're supposed to go order somewhere. Uh, step three, get their drinks down within two minutes after they're ordered. And this is tough sometimes if you have a slow bartender. Um, 
and they're not getting the drinks out. But, you know, once they order, if you get them right back to them, they're super happy. Uh, step four, check back with the guests within two minutes of the food's dropped. And by this time, they should know if they have something uh, missing. You know, if they need more ranch, if there's no ketchup. And to me, this is a big step of customer service is anticipating their needs uh, before they even know it. So if they go through a whole meal and they haven't asked for anything, they've had a great experience. So anticipating their needs. But if you get back within two minutes and they're missing something, uh, you'll be able to get it right to them instead of checking back, you know, six, seven minutes after. And they're just waiting there while their food gets cold. Uh, step five, keep their drinks refilled at all time. You know, I just talked about the Cornell study, how important this is. You know, 40% of your overall experience is this. So make sure they're refilled at all times. Uh, step six, work as a team and help out your coworkers. And people get really selfish about their tables. This is my table. This is my section. That's not my section over there. Uh, but if everyone, you really instill a culture of teamwork, you know, hands in, hands out, taking dirty plates, helping refill other people's tables when they're in the weeds. Uh, this goes a long way to, to great guest experience. Uh, step seven, this is a huge pet peeve of mine, bus to the wood. I can't stand when, when my busters don't get all the stuff off the table when they're done. There's, there's crumpled napkins and dirty plates, and, and they're standing over there talking with a coworker. It absolutely drives me insane. You know, get all that dirty stuff off the table when they're done. They want to sit and chat for a little bit, and they don't want all that dirty stuff. So bus to the wood, get everything off. Uh, step eight, offer coffee and dessert. Uh, make sure if they want any of that. I, I've also had mixed feelings about coffee and dessert. If you're a, a packed restaurant, uh, you, you kind of want to get them out. <laughs> but at the same time, you want them to have a complete experience so they want to come back. So you definitely don't want to rush them out. Uh, so offer coffee, dessert, and you know suggest a couple things to them. Uh, instead of just saying, hey, you want coffee, you want dessert, you know, get out. Hey, can I get you, you know, a, a nice cheesecake, a nice cup of coffee, an espresso? Make sure their their experience is, is complete. Uh, step nine, bring the check within 60 seconds of the request if you can. Uh, again, this is promptness. And then step 10 is see them off. And, and, and that's not just say goodbye. See you later as they're walking out the door. It's as they're getting up, you're at the table. Hey, thanks a lot for coming in. Can't wait to see you guys next time. It was really a pleasure having you here. I love learning that, you know, that your kid's doing great in basketball. You know, to just seeing them off like you would as a ship is leaving from the dock, you know, your family's leaving somewhere, I think is really important because it makes, it completes the experience. It makes them feel like they were really welcome and you want them to come back. So uh, that's my, my 10 steps. And it doesn't hit every point of customer service. There's a lot of other points, but that's kind of a system you can put in place to make sure that they're hitting on all points. Yeah. I love that you, that last one that you mentioned, the, the see them off, because I feel like this is a huge opportunity to catch issues if there were any. And so often, like after they, we drop the check, like it's that, that's that and we forget about them. But uh, even if you like train your, your host person just to ask, how was everything that could be the difference between somebody going home and writing a really awful review or you being able to catch something before they get home and write the review and be able to like write the new end of the story. Right. So it's, no, I think that's a great point. And I, and I think that the, the other thing is, is magic words is I'm sorry, because how many times is someone frustrated and like, I didn't get my, you know, I didn't get my beer. Where's my beer. And then you go, Oh, okay, here it is. And, and instead of saying, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. I didn't mean to do that. Let me go grab that for you. When someone tells me that when something goes wrong in a restaurant or if they don't greet me and I say, oh, my God, I'm sorry, I'll be right with you. I'm fine. I'm good to go because that person I can see that person's busy. They care about me instead of just being like, oh, here you go. You know, and, and so those are magic words. And I, and I think you're right. Finding out if there was anything wrong so you can correct it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other cool thing about th this list, th these 10 steps, you can commit all these things to habit. These are all things that you can 
trained to, to commit them to habit. And once these things are committed to habit, that's where the magic happens. When you're just, when, when the thing, these things are happening automatically, you're not like spending extra energy on them, but they're just, you just do them out of nature, out of habit. And that, when those things are committed to habit, like your, your brain doesn't work as hard and it leaves more energy to do things, to take things to the next level, to really listen, to, to empathize and to, to, to offer that amazing service when these things are committed to habit. Any thoughts on that? No, I agree. And a main part of my helping out managers and owners is to simplify everything. Uh, they have a thousand things on their to-do list. And ideally, you would love to give them this grand scheme of what to do, especially if you're some you know great magic consultant. You're a John Taffer. You know, you'd love to give them the, the market research on the, the median wage in the area and all that stuff. But, you know, they don't have time for that. And so when it comes to customer service, it, you know, it's hard to train on personality all the time. It's hard to train some of these things that are vague areas. So a lot of the systems that I try to put in place, I try to make them as simple as possible, make them really practical and powerful as well. So they can actually put them in place instead of looking at a list of something and be like, I can't, I don't have time for that. But with these things, you know, you know, I can do that. I can tell every server, no matter how talented they are at what their personality is to do these things, to make sure that they're giving prompt service and making sure the guest feels you know important. Awesome. Um, so one other thing that uh, just came to my mind that I mentioned that I that I was trying to think of earlier, um, but I couldn't think of it was the idea that you know there's so many potential verticals in this industry, and uh, you're a perfect uh, you're a perfect example of that. That you chose this this vertical of service to the industry and helping other people, and there's. I feel like Nick Kakanis is another great example of this where he had no restaurant experience uh, except for spending lots of money at restaurants because he was really well off with his previous career. Uh, Nick Kakanis, uh, the one of the founders of a linear restaurant group out of Chicago. Are you familiar? I don't know. I don't so know him. He was a past guest in the show and he was like a mathematician or like a, like a, some kind of, I don't know, some kind of math genius. And he did really well for himself. And then he partnered with uh, some really uh, successful chefs in the city. And now they're like the best restaurant group in the city. But uh, his whole thing was um, he, he looked at the industry with an eye that had no, I guess, perceptions of the, the right way. Uh, so he looked at it and said, there's a way better way to do this. Uh, and he created a, uh, new systems, a, a new reservation system talk, which basically is a sliding scale on, on Friday nights. We're selling, we're selling an experience and that, that's that seat at that table is going to be more expensive than on a Tuesday night because it's prime time, right? So that's just one example of, of looking at the industry differently. And I think you're another example of somebody who's like, okay, like there's a system, a tool that I can create to, that to help people. So get creative. If you're work, I'm finally coming full circle. If you're in the industry and you see something that, that and you're saying to yourself, there's a better way to do this, explore it. Cause you might uh, create a whole new opportunity for yourself and for the industry. Any thoughts on that? I think that's important to step back and try to look at the big picture because you get caught up in the day to day things that you're doing. And if you can do something differently for your restaurant, it's going to help huge. And you have to make it your own. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you look for other people's advice all the time and you try to implement that. But, but just like your own standards, I mean, you have to make what works for your restaurant. And if you can step back and find a better way to do it, you should certainly explore it. And just putting the question out there and putting it in your mind, you know, your subconscious will eventually go find it. Mm-hmm. So it may not find it that day, but, you know, just exploring that option. I think eventually your subconscious will bring an answer back to you that will really help you. Cool. Um, so the other thing I want the, to, to cover before we head to the speed round is the topic of inventory management. Um, you said this is your area of expertise. Uh, without necessarily talking about the tool that you've created, what are some of the pieces of, of device around inventory management that you have for our listeners? 
You know, in, inventory sucks, first of all. Okay, so this is, this is one of my biggest challenges is getting owners and managers to, to do it. And when I start walking into bars like crazy, I just ask them, you know, what's your inventory process? And I would find out. And, you know, some of them, oh, I do it once a month. I do it once a week. And some people wouldn't even be taking it or they'd be taking it kind of half-ass. And, and you know, the other day I walked into a bar, uh, just a local bar. I don't do it much anymore, but there was a couple of bars, I, you know, a couple of owners I know. And they kind of looked at each other and they're like, oh, was the last time we did a P&L? Ha, ha, ha. And they kind of laughed and, you know, they're kind of joking about it. But, you know, that stuff needs to be done. And inventory is difficult. So I've just tried to create a, an easier way to do it. But this is the number one area, in my in my opinion, is why I'm so passionate about it, which is the path I took of where you can increase your profits immediately. Uh, 25% is being lost um, of, of everyone's inventory on, on a national level for bars and restaurants. Uh, $10 billion is lost annually in bars uh, for, for the amount given away. And what you need to do is use free stuff strategically. Uh, and I was talking to Nick Fosberg about this. He and I work closely together and, and, you know, John Taffer in his book, you know, raise the bar. It's, it's a really good book. I, I would recommend uh, anyone go to read that. Uh, you know, he has a system in there that's really good. And he talks about the import, you know, the rule of three of getting a guest to come back three times, because if they come once, they're less than 50% chance that they'll come back a second time. If you get them back a second time, there's about a 50% chance they'll come back a third time. But if you get them to come back that third time, you have a more than a 70% chance of making them a regular. And so he has a system in which he gives away uh, a free appetizer. And so what they do, and this is great customer service. So this is, this is good, good stuff here. And this is not mine. This is John Taffer. So, you, you know, you walk up to uh, the guest the server and have you been here before? And if they haven't, they put down a colored napkin that will, and you know, inform the manager that this is a new guest manager walks over, says, Hey, how you doing? Um, you chats with them a little bit and then pulls out a card and says, you know what? You have to come in and try our, you know, our wings. They're just awesome. Writes on the back of the card, one free wing signs it, which is very personal. You're not just handing out coupons that don't mean anything, gives it to the guests, which gets them to come back that second time. Mm -hmm. Second time they come back, they, they present the card server, brings it to the manager manager now knows they need to go back again. So they come back and say, Hey, next time you come in, you gotta, you know, you gotta try our, you know, half off this you know, signature dish, whatever it is, you get them to come back again. So you're using, a, the, you know, what you're giving away for free strategically as a marketing strategy to get them to come back. Once you get them to come back that third time, you kind of have them locked in. And, you know, Nick Fosberg told me, you know, I told him about that. And, uh, Oh, the other stat that, that real quick is, uh, you know, if you can get your customers to come back just one extra time per month, it increases your revenue by 12%. Yes. I'm so right, happy that's a staggering there. stat. Yeah. It's that 80, 20 uh, rule. I mean, it, it, it definitely applies to the restaurant industry. 20% of our customers will give us 80% of our profit. So you want to get those repeat customers and your loyal customers. And that method you just shared with us is one great way to get more loyal customers in. Uh, sorry, did I cut so you short? Important. Well, it's, it's, I was just going to say, you know, Nick Fosber, I, I mentioned this stuff to him and he said, you know, I never really thought about it, but he, he automatically was doing that for a few years. You know, he runs bars in Chicago and when he found out there was a new guest, he would send them a drink mm. and say, Hey, thanks for coming in for the first time. And so he was kind of doing that, but these are the strategic things you need to do with your products to get and use it as marketing and not to stuff the bartender's pockets. Mm -hmm. And this is what's going on is like I said, conformity is contagious. You do what everyone else around you is doing. And, you know, you don't want to go against the grain. And then, you know, it's tempting. You can make an extra hundred bucks a night 
just by turning your head and not paying attention, not ringing stuff up, uh, it ends up being your rent for the month. And who wants to give that up? So uh, it, it's a powerful thing to be monitored. And I can't you know, state it enough to bar, you know, managers to make sure you're spot checking your bartenders. Uh, you know, they did a study at Newcastle University where uh, they sat in the cafeteria and they watched the students eat, and most of them wouldn't clean up their junk, all their litter on their table. They would just get up and walk away. And so what they did is they put posters of eyes on the walls, just posters, and they sat and they watched them for a week, and 75% of the students cleaned up their uh, their mess after that. And they've done the same thing in office buildings. They put eyes up in the office buildings, and productivity goes up like 35%. <laughs> and, you know, the study showed that people will act in a more responsible way if they know they're being watched. And it's the same thing with inventory management. If you're watching what they're doing, you're letting them know, hey, I know what you're doing. They will act in a more responsible way. And their variance and their losses go from from 25% down to about 5 or 6%. And, and the savings are just massive. So that's why this is my area that I've really chosen to kind of help managers out with is they can instantly improve their profits if they'll just watch what they're doing. Yeah. And uh I know recently Gary Vaynerchuk had John Taffer on the show uh, on his, I think it's Ask Gary V, and uh, he goes over that process that you just went over. So I'll link to that in the show notes too, just in case there's oh, cool. something that wasn't uh, mentioned in your explanation. But great stuff. Thanks for going there. So we, Love we actually, Gary v. oh Love yeah, Gary v. oh that's great. great. Yeah, he's awesome. So we we came down this road uh, talking about being intentional with the the drinks you're giving away or with the things you're giving away, the inventory you're giving away. Um, and that came from the question of like, what is good inventory management practice? What else do you have for us for inventory management practice? Well, my, my suggestion is, and I get owners ask me this all the time, how often should I be taking inventory? You know, at a minimum once per month, because you got to get it on your P&Ls and you got to see, you got to, uh, you know, analyze your P&Ls and see how you're doing. Um, but my suggestion is to do it once per week at least, and then spot check your bartenders twice, two or three times per week. And this is a strategy and tactic I've come up with that's super fast for the owners and it doesn't take that long. So you can spot check a bartender in 10 minutes. And what you, what you do is you just take, you know, five or six of your most popular products and you count them before the bartender shift. And then you count them again at the end of the shift. And then you can go run your reports and you can show them, Hey, you know, you ring in 10 shots of gray goose, but you poured 17. What's going on here. Once they know they're being watched, the numbers will just shrink. And, and the very next time they do it, they'll ring in 10, they may have poured 10 and a half or 11. So you're, you're only losing a little bit. Uh, it's just magic how it happens. So inventory is a pain in the butt. So I, I, I guide them towards spot checking because it only takes them about 10 minutes. Awesome. Um, and then I recommend doing it once per week so you can really check your variance and see what's going on. But it has to be done at least once per month. Any other advice on inventory management? Some, some nuggets you can drop on us before we move to the speed round? Um, you know, just tracking is important. A lot of the other stuff I, I work on is just is is helping them with their profits and increasing that. And so we'll look at uh, menu engineering and making sure that the things on their menu are are the most profitable. So you know, with some of the software out there, you can you know item cost everything. So you include like if you're making a Cosmo, it gets vodka, it gets triple sec, it gets lime juice, and it gets cranberry. You need to price all of that out and item cost that and see how much it's costing you. See what the cost percentage and your profit is on it. So you can go down your list of your menu, food and cocktails, and really see what your most profitable item is. And some people they've come to me and be like, man, our wings, they're off the hook, they're killing, da da da. And I go look on there and I say, Yeah, but 
you're making a 35% profit on your, your yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, 15% profit on your wings. Good you're point. killing that, but it's killing your, your bottom line. So yeah. you need to find something more profitable. So, you know, a lot of that is, is yeah. item costing your menu is, is super important. Again, it's a little tedious, but you know, all the tedious stuff is tedious for a reason. It's, it's, it's the most important thing. Yeah. Thank you for getting specific on that. I think a lot of people get confused with profitability is what sells the most, but it's really what makes the most money. What has the most margins. Um, yeah, absolutely. So good stuff. Um, did I cut you short again? I apologize. No, no, I'm good. So on that topic of what items make the most profit or in the most, or have the biggest, uh, margins, are there any like items you, that come to mind that you see people doing really well with that you can share with us? Well, here's, here's what I'll say too. How, uh, let me, let me educate on this because just about every manager I talk with isn't really aware. They're not paying attention. You know, poor cost percentage is the big, you know, metric that everyone's using to see how they're doing. But it's a really weak indicator. We use variance percentage, which shows you physically what's missing. Um, and so, like I said, it'll show you that you poured 10 shots of Grey Goose, but you, uh, you know, you, or you ring in 10, but you poured 17. That shows you that you're physically missing a certain amount. When you're using pour cost percentage, so many things go into factor. And one of the main things is, is what you're pouring in your bar. So if you pour a ton of well liquor, uh, which pours at five or 6%, your pour cost percentage is going to be very low. Uh, so a smart bar manager who's hearing it from above from his owner saying, why is our cost percentage so high? will instruct his bartenders to go pour a bunch of well liquor because it'll bring the cost percentage down. However, if you're pouring something like Belvedere, Grey Goose, uh, Don Julio, 1942, the cost percentage is higher. So for Grey Goose, it's like 17, 18%. For Don Julio, 1942, your cost percentage is like 25%. That sounds horrible, but your profit is higher on those premium products, which mm-hmm. is why you always hear, you know, push the top shelf stuff. So your, you know, your profit on well liquor is going to be, you know, four bucks and your profit on Grey Goose is going to be seven bucks. Your profit on 1942 is going to be like 15 bucks. So you don't care about cost percentage at that point. It's really important that you push your most profitable items because you're not putting percentages in the bank. You're putting money in the bank. So at that point, you don't really care. So, you know, there's a balance that you want. You want that cost percentage, but you don't want to rely solely on it. You really want to find the stuff that's really making profit. Awesome, man. Thank you for going to detail there. And um, I think we're at a good spot to head to the speed round, but I don't want to cut you short. Is there any other thing that is top of mind or things that you haven't gone off your chest or, you know, tip of your tongue that you want to get out before we go there? No, I think I'm good. If I go longer, you'll, you'll exhaust me. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Dude, you're crushing it, by the way. I'm loving this conversation. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question. Honestly, does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. 
payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like a foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Dave, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Well, you know, I talked about raising the standards. I think I did that early on when I finally decided enough was enough and my marriage is in a bad spot. So I think if you're in a spot where you want to get better, I think raising your standards, I would say one of my it factors, you know, good or bad is that I'm obsessed with you know, when it comes down to making sure things are done right down to the smallest details. And I do it as a basketball coach and I do it in my business and it's kind of a compulsion thing, I guess. And, and though being compulsive can kind of have its downside, being comp- compulsive about, you know, making sure small details are done correctly is a bit of a strength when it comes to my success, you know, both as a coach and in my business. You know, if I let the kids I'm coaching kind of continue to slide on the fundamentals they're doing and I don't correct them, you know, they don't get better as individuals and we don't get better as a team. And I'm doing them a big disservice. And it's the same thing in business and in your restaurant. If you don't correct the mistakes that are going on and do the fundamentals down to the smallest detail in your customer service, you know, the business is going to suffer and it's eventually going to fail. And this could be a weakness of mine, too, because I'm, you know, I'm so obsessed with details that I, I don't give away control in my business to some of my assistants and I kind of do everything myself. So uh, that can be a bit of a weakness. But I think that paying attention to details and making sure you correct them when they happen instead of just turning your head and letting them slide is a big factor to my success. Awesome. And your biggest weakness is the next question. You kind of already touched on that, which is that just delegation. Yeah. Delegation. And, you know, I guess one of my weaknesses is I spread myself too thin is kind of extend on that. I have all these ideas I want to do and I want to do them all instead of just, you know, staying within my wheelhouse and doing the two or three things I should put all my energy into. And it's good because I try a lot of things and I learn a lot of stuff, but I think I'd be better off if I just take those couple <laughs> things and, and just kind of take those to the next level oh, instead man. of trying to do everything at once. I'm so guilty of that too. Uh, <laughs> like always trying to, there's so much I want to do and, there, and I think people like ourselves are so ambitious, uh, but we're only one person sometimes. Uh, and I think the, the solution for me, at least whenever I, I find myself doing this, I just say to myself, patience like that stuff will come but only if you do this one thing really well because if you start doing the one thing you're known for poorly then those opportunities won't come to you because you lost it right oh it's so true and then you know your to-do list is just so long but you can only you know you got to prioritize and do the important ones yep awesome uh what is one question you ask or thing you look for or looked for past tense during the interview process you know when i bring in people to interview and this is 
this is a huge pain point for managers. When I talk to managers and owners, hiring people, the turnover rate is so huge in the restaurant business. Not everyone is as passionate about the restaurant business as you and I are. And, and we all know that the majority of them are in their 20s and 30s, and they're using this as a stopover to what else they're going to do. So it's really hard to keep them motivated. Um, and this has come huge for most people, I think, but hiring on personality instead of experience is, is really huge. And one of the things I'll ask them is I'll just ask them, you know, tell me about your best friend. How did you meet them? I want to see if they can talk. I want to see if they can tell me a story. I want to see if they light up when they talk about their best friend or if they just give some canned answer. I want to know, can they carry on a conversation? Are they engaged? And then I'll tell them a story. I'll have some story that I want to tell them. It's totally off base from what we're talking about, but I want to see how they react to me. You know, are they nodding? Are they interested? It was, what company was it? Was it American Airlines or United? Years ago, they did, when they did their hiring, they would do this. They would tell all the applicants that they had to, you know, read a speech to everyone about why they should be uh, chosen to be an airline attendant. And they wouldn't even listen to the speech. They would sit there and watch the other uh, applicants in the crowd to see how they were reacting to the speech. Were they nodding and engaged and smiling or were they just off spaced and just thinking about their own speech coming up? And so I always thought that was really important. I could try to engage that while I'm talking. Are they looking at me? Are they happy? Are they excited? And kind of find out if there's a soul inside there instead of, you know, where did you work before this? Awesome. Great advice. And what is uh, your biggest challenge today? Uh, I know you're not, you're not currently working in a restaurant today, right? Yeah, I do. I still operate. You know, we we operate a dueling piano bar in Danville, California. Oh, okay. Wow, which is really cool. I'm sorry, um, I didn't we have, know that. <laughs> we have, no, we have two great dueling pianists who who we play every Friday, Saturday, and we we pack it out and we get a line down the street and and they're awesome. And then during the week, we're just kind of a family bar, and so we have to have our our employees on point to make sure that you know all the local families coming in are really taken care of. So, uh, yeah, I'm still doing that. Wow. So, uh, what is your biggest challenge today with that? Well, my biggest challenge, so, you know, I'm there kind of part-time because I, I can't seem to to break away. My biggest challenge in, in my business is getting owners and managers to understand, you know, the importance of having systems in place. And we've talked about this and then and then execution of, of those plans. And, uh, you know, they have a thousand things to do on a, their to-do list. So it's easy to chuck the most tedious tasks like taking inventory. And it kind of hurts them in the end. Plus, there's a lot of egomaniacs out there, you know, sort of like it's my bar. You know, it's nobody's going to tell me how to run my, my bar type of thing. And so you see it all the time in Bar Rescue, right? They do, they do the same thing. And, you know, so my, you know, my remedy and all that is to try to educate them uh, without being condescending. And the same thing with my employees, you know, try to educate them without being condescending, treat them like people, uh, ask their opinion on things. I use humor to kind of joke around with them and kind of lower the defenses. And then I try to find their pain points. And once I find out what's causing pain points for either, you know, my clients or for my employees, and I can help relieve that pain with some solutions, uh, they love you for it because they don't have, you know, either physical or mental pain anymore about what they're doing. So my biggest challenge is try to you know keep them motivated and, and execute the plan I'm putting into place. And, uh, and then I try to relieve some of those pain points. Awesome. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is kind of like more like a, a core value or a way to be a way to act. Uh, the, does that make sense? Yeah. And I have to go back to, you know, I hate to, to be a broken record and beat a dead horse, but you know, standards is huge to me. And you know, your standards are basically your belief system. It's your identity to tell you the truth. And 
if you listen to like any Anthony Robbins, he'll tell you that your actions are always going to align with your identity and you can't act outside of who you believe you are. Uh, so I need to, people need to raise their standards on who they are. And like I said, when talking to the Outback employees, you need to come in and decide what's important to you. And it's your identity on a day-to-day basis that's going to help you act in a certain way. Um, for instance, if you're a smoker and you say, I'm going to try to quit smoking, you know, you're kidding yourself because you don't have that belief. You don't believe right now you believe you're a smoker. So you're never going to, you're never going to beat that. And so if you're a bus boy and you keep saying, oh, I'm just a bus boy, I just clear dishes, uh, you know, that's your identity. And if you want to become more than that, you need to raise your standards and become something else. Become an expert at being a busboy so you can become an expert at being a server, then a bartender, uh, own your own restaurant eventually. Whatever that is, you need to raise your standards and change who you believe you are if who you believe you are is just someone at a lower level. Yeah. So that's a huge thing for me is, is, is identify with who you want to be. Act who you want to be right now. Pretend like you're that person you want to be right now. Yeah, you know, it's it's all relative and perception is reality. So, uh if you perceive yourself as being somebody who will never amount more than a buster, then that is what you'll be. If you perceive yourself as somebody who has the potential to own 10 restaurants someday, then that is what you'll be. So, you need to perceive yourself as, you know, being somebody with high standards uh and high levels of excellence. Awesome stuff. Absolutely. I love it. Uh what is one common standard of service you teach? your staff sorry one uncommon i think i might have said common one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff and this is more like physical things tangible things uh a way to to, to treat a customer or something of that of that nature yeah i briefly mentioned before but we, you know i'm big on on anticipating the needs before the, the guests need it so we really instill that in, in our staff uh, the guest should never be looking around and you know where's my server because i need more ketchup or a fork or a side of ranch uh, in an ideal wor- world, the server anticipates all those needs before the guest even knows they need it. So, you know, if you're bringing a hamburger with fries and there's no ketchup on the table, you know, you haven't done your job. So uh, if you're bringing things, that, certain food or drinks that need a condiment or anything that goes needs to go on the table, all that stuff needs to be anticipated. Do they need more napkins? So we're really huge on anticipating the needs before they even know they need it. Beautiful. And uh, share one online resource or tool. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to just necessarily plug my product right now with, with, with bar patrol, but even if it's not mine, you need to find an inventory system that's better than the one you're doing right now. 80% of the, the people I talk to are still using the old clipboard inventory where they're t- taking tally marks. Then they go re-enter all of that stuff. Find, find an app out there that does it faster for you because mm-hmm. it, it'll cut your inventory time in half. And then you'll actually be able to take inventory without it being so tedious. So uh, I would research and find the best inventory tool you can find, whether it's mine or someone else's, because it's going to save you so much time. Time is the most valuable asset we all have. It's the equalizer. And it's the people that who are the most successful in this world who recognize that time is their most valuable asset. So don't waste it. It's, you're, you're throwing money out the door when you do that. So, absolutely. you know, it, it's true. And I have, you know, in, in the book, I wrote the 21 laws of running a bar. One of the laws is the law of delegation. And, uh, you know, you're spending your time doing something that's making you, you know, $30 an hour when you could delegate it and go do something else that makes you 200 bucks an hour. So, you know, delegation saves you a lot of money. Mm, absolutely. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? You know, the book that really changed what I was doing, at least in my business and then in other areas of my life with running the bar was uh, the 10 X rule by Grant Cardone. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, if you if you don't know Grant Cardone, he's a he's a little obsessed and hyper and all that. <laughs> and some people like him, some people don't. The book's amazing, and you know you should. I got it on Audible, and I would just I just listen to it all the time. He's super inspiring, and it'll take whatever you're doing if you have some goals, and it will advance them a lot faster. I, I would. That was one of the books that changed my life. Uh, I mentioned Selling the Invisible by Harry Beckwith. I think it's a great customer service one. And then the last one I'll mention is uh, It's Okay to Be the Boss by Bruce Tolgan. And he basically goes into, you know, the fact that there's no management going on today um, and that micro, there's no such thing as micromanaging. It's just managing. You know, all the small details are important and people are afraid of confrontation with their employees. So they let things slide and that it's OK to be a boss. And like we mentioned earlier, it, it, they, they crave that structure. So go ahead and be the boss. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what is one piece of technology uh, that you've adopted in your restaurants that have had an influence on operation, uh, profitability, uh, communication, uh, I mean, I kind of have a feeling I know where you're going to go with this one, but well, no, you know, you know, one of the ones I've actually heard on your podcast that we've used in our, in our, uh, bar and restaurant is the five-star customer loyalty program. Oh, nice. Um, I, I think anything like that, I think they do a great job of, um, collecting customer information and, you know, one of the most powerful things, and, and if you want to know marketing, go to Nick Fosberg. And I'm not just saying that because he's my friend. This guy's a master at collecting emails and providing awesome value to their guests. So they keep wanting to come back and, and just creating a story about your restaurant and bar that they become obsessed with. And the Five Stars Customer Loyalty Program is just a tool to help you collect information, not so you can spam them, but so you can, you know, like I said, tell a story about the bartender. Look at the bar. Look at, look at John's new cocktail this week that he made. And you send them out an email that shows that or come check out our new, you know, lobster dish or whatever you're doing. Just stay connected with your guests and, and just keep them coming back. I mean, it was a really good tool. We liked it a lot. Yeah. Uh, five stars was the past sponsor of the show too. So special thank you for them for supporting what I'm doing. And, uh, I've heard nothing but great things about the service they provide. And Nick Fosberg, I think he's been on the show like four times, five times. Oh, has he? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I definitely, uh, am behind the advice that Nick has. And if you guys want to learn more about Nick, he's got another book out there, uh, bar and restaurant success. And I, I think that book's free. All you gotta do is pay for shipping. So yeah, go- I'm about to do a video for uh, Nick on, on his book. Uh, yeah. cause I really like it. So I'm gonna, I, always do, I do a lot of YouTube videos, so I'm going to do one for him. Coming yeah. up here soon. So I'll, I'll link to that book, uh, in the, the uh, show notes, which is really just all about direct marketing and the power of direct marketing and how to create those, uh, those funnels in your business. So good stuff there. Yep. And, um, the next question is the last question, and that question is a doozy, so take some time and think about it if you have to. Uh, if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants, and your business would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could tie to your name uh, for the good of humanity, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Wow, you're so deep, Eric. Oh, man, that's what I do. So deep. <laughs> uh, you know, number one, and it sounds like a, a cliche, but it really is true. It happened with me is, is to find your purpose, I guess, you know, whatever that means to you. Uh, because when you wake up in the morning and you know what you're doing, I mean, you really know what you want to do and you have a vision for how to get there. You wake up excited to live and work doesn't seem like work because you're living with clarity mm. and there's nothing worse than living in a befuddled fog with no direction. And that was kind of me for a while, even though I enjoyed bartending, I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, for a long time, I did basketball. I played basketball all the way through college and that was my purpose. But, you know, not everyone's going pro. So at some point you got to find a new purpose. And so if you own a bar or restaurant or you're, you know, you're running one, it can be tedious and it can be hard. 
but instead of just going through the motions, you know, you've got to find out how you can be different from someone else. You know, there's a ton of ideas out here. I mean, you have over 400 podcasts here, Erica, you know, for, for expert stuff from all these experts offering ideas and advice. So find one of them and run with it and, and make it your own. And, and you'll wake up more excited every day with a purpose. Um, number two, I don't know, raise your standards. I've already mentioned this over and over again. No matter what your role is, uh, make sure that you imagine the person you want to become and then go out there and act like that person every day. And then number three is, you know, I, customer service is a cliche also in, in the service, you know, in the restaurant industry, but it, it's everywhere. And so I would say number three would be take a sincere interest in people. And some people are introverts and it's hard for them, but your guests and your employees and everyone you come in contact with, uh, this works twofold. And not only will people that you connect with, this works on like a magical level. And I mean, you think about the people we love the most, it's the ones who take an interest in us, right? Like we all want to tell people our stories and our lives and why we're so important. And most of the time, hopefully we don't puke everything out about our lives because you know, we're not psychos and, and annoying, but we've met people like that, right? People will just talk about themselves forever. But, but when someone gives us the green light, you know, to tell them a little about ourselves, you know, we love them for it. So when you do the same thing, uh, it's going to turn right around and do this and, and, and they're going to love you for it. If you take a sincere interest in them and find out about their lives and you make connections with them, you know, it opens opportunities in your life that you never knew existed. Yeah. And as soon as you open up and start talking with people and ask them questions, they will love you for taking interest in them and they'll start offering value that you didn't even know existed. And, you know, I bartended for a long time and I, I had a great following of reg regulars because I would take an interest in them. And I started getting box seat tickets to Warriors games and comedy shows and free passes to theme parks and invites to fancy dinners. And, you know, they've introduced me to important people. And I'm not saying to take an interest in people, you know, to be manipulative. But it works like magic if you'll just open up and take an interest in your guests and, and they'll keep coming back again and again and, and you'll benefit like you won't. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And there's an analogy that I've used to make the same point before. And think of your dog, right? Why, why do you love your dog so much? Because yeah, your yeah. dog loves you more than anything yeah. in the world. They like, think Isn't about how true? happy your dog gets when you just come home. It's like the like the most exciting thing ever. And it's uh, I mean, and that feeling is exactly what you're talking about. When you take an interest and you love other people, and that 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 love comes back. You know, that interest comes that's back. That's a great analogy. I love that. Analogy. I'm a dog guy too, and I love that. I've seen that. I've seen that coffee cup. Right. I think it's probably pretty popular now, which yeah. is maybe as great as my dog thinks I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Great <laughs> stuff. And one other thought that came into my mind when you're sharing the, the first uh, thing that you'd leave to make us better, which is just finding your purpose. We as mentors, we as managers and owners play a huge role in helping other people find their purpose. And it's as simple as acknowledging people when they're, and it kind of ties into what you just said, acknowledging people when they're good at something. Cause when we're young, think back, you don't know what your passion is. You're in search for it. And if you can get help, like the universe gives you clues and be part of the universe, giving somebody a clue to help them find their purpose. When they're truly good at something, make sure they know because you might be leading them down a road uh, or you might be able to help them find a profession. So that's yeah, very true. You're very green and impressionable in the beginning yeah. and, and to have someone do that really does uh, go a long way. Yeah. And it's a trend I've seen on the show where people like, how'd you get into the industry? Well, somebody saw something in me. I mean, it's right. so powerful. Um, so don't underestimate that. Uh, you've been great, Dave. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to join oh, us. Thank today. you, Eric. I, you know, you are, you are the granddaddy of a uh, restaurant podcast. And, you know, <laughs> Nick, Nick's told me that, you know, Roger over at uh, rockstar. Pod, you told me that like when, you know, they're doing their thing, but they're like, 
Eric's the king when oh, it comes man. to doing this stuff. And I mean, you, what you're doing out there is just amazing for people. I mean, bringing on other people instead of just, you know, you know, just telling what you think and getting digging into other people's lives is, is super valuable. Oh, thank you so much. And we're not done yet because I, I got to make sure I get you to call somebody out. So who's one independent <coughs> restaurant operator, somebody you admire, uh, I think would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today. Well, Mario had mentioned Chris Sims. I would look like listen to him. I have a good friend uh, who's just awesome. His name is Gianni Shell. I haven't even told him that I would mention him on this podcast, but uh, he owns a couple bars in Livermore, California, and he owns a Sanctuary Lounge and La Pura Vida. And he's taken these, to, he's made them his own, and he just lives life. and he, he travels all over, and he's super knowledgeable. He he went to Cal Berkeley Business School, and he owns he runs a huge catering business off his bar and restaurant that makes a ton of profit. And this is one of the most profitable things you can do. This is another thing, you know, spreading myself thin that I want to get into is teaching a course on how to do this, working with Gianni. And, you know, if you want your listeners uh, to kind of learn how to run catering off their bar and restaurant, especially the bar side, you know, the profits are crazy. You end up making 95% off your liquor because you can resell it over and over again. And, and uh, we have a place, a seafood place in Walnut Creek here that does 12 million a year and 75% of it is from their catering. Oh, wow. um, and, and so if you really want to learn kind of how he does that, uh, he, he is so giving and open on sharing what he does and doesn't try to hide it from anyone. And so I think you would learn a lot from him. Johnny, look out. I'm coming after you and uh, let the folks at home know uh, how we can connect with you. We kind of uh, tiptoed around the, the services you offer, uh, the technology you've created. So here's one last time to kind of create awareness around that and how we can, uh, you know, look into what you provide. Yeah. And I told you earlier, you know, my main mission at Bar Patrol is to get my, you know, I, I have a bar inventory app. Uh, you can just go to barpatrol.net to look it up and uh, to get it in the hands of many owners and managers who want one that, that at an affordable rate. It's the most affordable one out there. It does what 90% of the other systems do. They're charging 150 to 400 bucks a month. Uh, it's like a dollar sixty three a day to have this awesome inventory system in, in place. And so you don't really have an excuse now not to go to go get something. And if you don't go get mine, go get some something else that you like because it's super important that you're doing inventory so uh, you can go check it out there and uh, I, you know I also do a screen share demo you can sign up for there and it's with me because I'm super obsessive like I said I can't let anyone else do it so if you schedule a screen share demo I will show you how the app and software works and you actually get to have kind of a mini consultation with me and we sit down for 30 minutes and uh, I, I screen share and talk with you just like we are on Skype right now and uh, I show you how I kind of answer questions and I find out other pain points that are going on in your bar and restaurant and I I also offer some value there. Beautiful. And uh, where should we go? Was it Bar Patrol? Is that what it was? Bar Patrol? Uh, yeah, Bar Patrol.net. .net. Got you. Uh, yes. I'll link to that in the show notes. And uh, maybe we can get you back in the future to host a webinar on Restaurant Unstoppables platform. Oh, uh, that'd be great. Yeah, beautiful. Well, Dave, again, thank you for everything. Thank you for your time, your knowledge, uh, for somebody who has standards, for knowing the, the value of purpose, and for um, just being somebody who took a sincere interest in me. Uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. All right. Cheers. Whoa. Awesome episode today. Tons of great advice jammed into this a little over an hour session. Uh, some of the key takeaways for me, uh, the importance of systems, processes, procedures definitely stands out. And um, one thing that kind of came up, but we didn't go too deep. I kind of re- held back a little bit. I wanted to kind of explore this idea of uh, a, a business growing to the point where you lose some of those human elements. And do I think systems, processes, procedures, protocols, standards are important? Absolutely. Can you go overboard? 
absolutely. And we kind of tapped into that a little bit today uh, with the idea of, um, I think when franchises get too big is when people stop caring. One of the reasons why they stop caring is because they're limited on doing those human things like being creative. For him, that was one of the things that held him back. It just, it, you know, it was that create that creative part of it. Like you, you can make suggestions, but it goes through so many layers of management before anything ever gets done. If everything or anything ever gets done, and that's just, you know, that's just not. I don't know. It's just, it's oh, it's just not what we are as humans. We're creative people. We we want to feel like our voice is being heard, and in that organize that type of structure, that type of business organization. Um, it's just it's not as possible. And it's limiting, and it's not human, and that's why I, I only interview independent restaurant operators. But um, yeah, uh, so I don't know. Just kind of curious. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, if you have any thoughts, you can share them with me, Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Uh, like always, guys, keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Uh, and if I'm not on a not on a platform, you wish I was on a platform uh, like Google Play, for example. Uh, let me know. I want to be where you are. Um, so if you're hopping over to whatever platform just for this podcast, thank you. But let me know where you would rather I be, and I'll get over there for you. Uh, and the best way to support the show, if you guys are loving what you're hearing, if you want more of it, share it. Please share this podcast. Uh, every download matters. And the more people that know about it, the more downloads I get, uh, the more I can do to serve you. So try to every time you listen to a podcast, do me a favor. Just hit the send button. Uh Share it, tweet it out, Facebook it, whatever. Share it, please. And make sure you tag me so I can thank you. And um, yeah, I think that's all for today. I'm going to be hitting the road in the next couple of weeks. It's kind of scary. I know I'm going to Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm really trying to not have too much of a plan because I want to be free. I want to be able to go to opportunities as they come up. I might go go out west. I think I'm thinking maybe California because there's so many that's where most of my downloads are and honestly like there's so many there's so many great restaurants out there and i can sleep out of my car if i have to because it's not negative 10 degrees like it's been for the past week up here in new hampshire but uh if you guys know a place i should go uh if you have people that you can connect me with reach out to me eric at uh restaurant eric catch on instagram twitter and slash slash Restaurants Unstoppable on Facebook. Uh, Thanks so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.